My name is Bea Gonzalez, and I am a writer of mostly novels. And I'm Jay Rettelsberger, a singer-songwriter. We began a conversation on Twitter some time ago about Carl Jung, art, and the creative process, and we decided to share our discussion with all of you. Okay, so I wanted to talk about uh, something that just happened. Um, As you know, I started something called the Sophia Collective with a bunch of people that have been part of my group for a long time, uh, in some cases up to 15 years. And we finally did, I wouldn't call it a public program, because in fact, most of the people that came had to be connected to us. We're not really ready to do anything really public. But what happened is we got all these people to come out and we, we decided to run what would be a group dream interpretation session, which, as you know, because <laughs> you know a lot about dreams like I do, can be pretty dicey, right? Because people are coming in. I didn't know the people that were actually there. I only knew one person. So you're talking to people you don't know. Honestly, I didn't know their names. Uh, they basically showed up. Uh, we were a total of about, I guess it might have been 24, 25 people, half of which were part of our group. So we were there to facilitate, and the other people were there to you know, give us a dream. And it actually turned out to be one of the most powerful experiences I've had a long time. And it reminded me that when people, even if you don't know them, if they share their inner world. And you have, I, honestly, all these people, I had no idea if they're, if they have children, if they're married. If, I mean, yes, sometimes the dream circumstances, they will tell you, did reveal some part of their inner, of their outer life. But it was just the most fascinating experience. And I think what I've told people is often when I do dream interpretation in my group, uh, just with my the members of my group, I don't really offer a dream because I'm, you know, everybody else has one and I really want to work with it. But I always tell them it's not like I almost like listening to people's dreams more than I like my own dreams, if that makes any sense. And mm-hmm. I, so for me, it's a real privilege to be sitting there listening to people's inner worlds because it's like it's the best novel ever, uh, except that it's emotional. And that's what happened at this session. We, there's a lot of emotional stuff going on. Yeah. I wonder if that's the case because uh, there's a degree of <clears throat> distance that you don't get with your own dream. And that allows you yeah. to, yeah, I mean, I mean, that no, no, allows that's you true. to, yeah. yeah. No, no, that makes total sense, of course. With you, I'm, I mean, with our own dreams, I mean, you helped me out with mine, and I hope I help you out with yours. Certainly. You do need somebody who 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 can listen to you. And sometimes, actually, what we're both doing, I find, is just working it out by, mm-hmm. by conversing with ourselves and just having a listener who can ask the right question at the right moment. Ultimately, only the person who's had the dream is going to really connect with the meaning. But it's in the act of listening. It's like the most active type of listening that I ever do. Because when I, I honestly felt like I was battered, felt battered after that session, because first of all, it was five hours long. But afterwards, I recognized that when I'm listening to a dream, it's my whole body is listening. It's not just yeah. intellectually. I'm watching for people's uh, body movements. I'm watching for facial tics. Uh, and we had a couple of moments during this where someone gave the dream and then revealed a shocking part of their inner life or their outer life, I should say, relative to a dream image that made the whole dream make sense immediately, but they took their time revealing it. It was almost like through the process of questioning, you know, we eventually got to it. And there was a collective sort of moving back of everybody thinking, oh my God. And even the people who, well, you know, have never done this before were, were had that same reaction. It's almost like you're listening. And the other thing that occurred to me, I don't know, I know you did that program in Sonoma, so you probably were doing this on a more regular basis. 
I don't know if you had the experience that you feel like people are bringing dreams that are your dreams. So that makes any sense. Like I've even had that experience mm-hmm. with you where you're dreaming and you have a, a dream image. And I think I wait, that dream image resonates with something that's going on in my own life. And that's what we all felt. There was one particularly strong dream um, offered by someone from, from Ukraine that was so powerful that everybody was in tears, basically. That's how, and, and, you know, we're thinking about it. It's a dream. We're all aware it's a dream, but it was so emotionally impactful, not only for the, to the person who was telling the dream, but I think everybody that was sitting there, we, we heard it and then everybody just sat there for a while. We didn't know what to do with, with the images. And that, that's where I think, my God, um, I don't know why people are not doing this more, <laughs> except that I know that a lot of people think this is silliness or that dreams don't matter or that, um, but but it was that kind of an experience, and and of course we had fifteen of these, so there were different experiences happening right along the uh, right along the way. It was fascinating. It's kind of really. It's kind of like watching a film or reading a novel or something that impacts you internally. I think it's the same thing. I, I think there's a lot of the same thing going on there, you know, because you don't you don't have you know you you don't have those the the blinders of the ego on that the dreamer has and uh, who was it was it Campbell or Jung that said that myths are public dreams mm-hmm. but what you're describing was like dreams can be more than just an have value to the individual to the dreamer yeah. that you know um, oh, because ultimately so. dreams are personal myths as as it said and well but there is something universal in in myth themselves. Right. And I think they connect you to something larger in yourself. So my experience over years and years and years of doing this is that they're never, and we've had this experience in the small group, what I didn't realize is that it could happen outside of this, this, this smaller group, that there seems to be some connecting gel that's going on when people get together. First of all, you see repetitive motifs. I'm sure you've seen that as well, right? Where people are having, you know, very specifically, you know, a lot of the dream images that came up, you've heard before, you know, not showing, not showing up prepared for an exam, uh, bathroom dreams. Those are very common, uh, a great witch dream, <laughs> which brought us to why would a witch appear? And was there a positive aspect to the witch? I subsequently, um, found a quote by Robert Bly, who really speaks about the, the witch in a particularly powerful way. Oh, and yeah. it generated a whole lot of, uh, a whole lot of, uh, pushback and interesting conversation on Instagram. But anyway, all these images that came, I think everybody could could relate to, but not only by hearing what the person was saying. So we could relate to it because the emotion that the person was uh, delivering their dream with, that's on one level because you feel compassionate, connected to that person. But then there's this weird realization that, no, that dream actually is speaking to me in some weird way as well. And that's where the magic comes in. And I hate to use that word because it seems diminishing, but it's actually not. In my view, it's like, wow, this is... All I'm ever looking for is ways that I think I'm connecting to other people. And I can't think of a more powerful way to do that. And certainly that was an example. What was really interesting, it wasn't just for me. It was for everybody who was there. <laughs> the, the, the thing that I thought was great is at the end of it, someone said, when are we going to do this next? And it's like, okay, good. You're ready to come back into. And, and the other thing is I was worried, you know, before we did this, I thought, well, I wonder if, um, you know, we, we interpret your dreams, say, right? And then someone's going, okay, my dream's done now, right? So now I don't care what anybody else says. The opposite. People don't want to go to the washroom. They're going, no, no, they don't get the break in uh, because they wanted to listen to other people's dreams. And finally, um, one thing that was also really good about doing, and I, and I recommend people start dream groups for this reason, is that 
uh, you you become better, right, at doing this when you hear a lot of them. You just mm-hmm. do because what you're trying to get the mind to do, and this is the whole purpose of the Sophia ideal, is to get people to think metaphorically. So first of all, you get them out of this idea that your neighbor's your neighbor or your husband's a husband. There is an objective quality to dreams. There's no question, but this objective is really the important part. We would agree, right? Yeah. And so, um, so you know, you say, okay, well, what qualities do these people have or whatever that you might uh, be, be dealing with? But what was also really powerful is confessions came out of it. They, they talked, they you know, one talking about mothering and every mother in the group. And this is a really, really good example of what can happen. Um, there are a bunch of women in the dream. She said, I just realized I'm a really bad mother. And all of us said, no, we're, we're the same. We're, we're all we're all completely sure that we're horrible mothers. And what was interesting is there was a younger woman there who was having problems with her uh, her own mother and who said that that actually made her think about things from her mother's perspective. It just like hit her. She went, wait, I haven't been listening to it. So that kind of, I, for want of a better word, alchemy, where you're listening to something that's actually changing. Because to me, the hardest thing anyone will ever do, and I've seen it done so little that I'm so respectful when it happens, is the ability to change your mind. You're seeing it now writ large, right? But just the idea to say, no, actually, maybe what I'm thinking about a certain person or about a certain situation isn't really the whole story. That's mm-hmm. hard. I think that's hard. Anyway, that's what I see in myself and I see it in others. So seeing somebody just listening to, uh, and, and one of the things that allowed this to happen is we were very lucky. We had a really huge age range, like from people in their twenties, right? to I think the, the oldest was 76. So and how many huge, were there? How many participants did you have? The actual, so the collective had, we had about 14 of us. And so they had a lot of support because they had a lot of ideas. And I think probably there were maybe 15 or 16 and there were two males and the rest were females, which is not unusual. Um, but, uh, but, but yeah, just really, really powerful, powerful, uh, stories. It was, it was, uh, and some people came and didn't give a dream, which is interesting as well. Didn't feel they came to listen, which, which is fine. I get it. I mean, it's hard, right? Or sometimes maybe you don't have a dream, or maybe you just want to wait till the next time to see how this is all going to play out, which I totally understand. Uh, and it, and, and now, you know, I want to ask you this because I know you were in that Jungian program and I did a lot of analysis one on one with a Jungian. I'm still, thinking that Jung was wrong about this. I think he was wrong about groups. I think he had a complex around groups and this proved it to me again. A lot of great stuff happens in group settings that, that yes, and especially if no one's willing to be the, 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 uh, you know, the know-it-all that there's a kind of a dynamic where we're all working together. It's so powerful. It really is. Well, that wasn't, you know, that certainly wasn't discouraged where I was at. I mean, regardless of what Jung thought about it, the program was, that was, you know, we were in a cohort for two years, all of us together. And every, every class was like a group pretty much, you know, with different emphases, but I, I, I liked that type of learning environment. And the thing about that learning environment that is different is there's room enough, or it sounds to me like you do a pretty good job of welcoming, welcoming in the sacred and everyone feels safe in that space. And that's such a big part of it. And I certainly felt that when I was there that it's about what kind of container yeah. you're you're bringing it to right well what i think this is where i was feeling at the end of it very tired because like i said there's a difference between listening with the mind and i think that what i what i find myself doing and this is why i always say body work is so important for people you you just don't listen with the mind it's almost like you actually your mind shuts off for a while and your whole body is really really paying attention and that's where the energy and this is where i think it really works um, so, but, but on the issue of the container and the sacredness, 
I think you create that when you really take it seriously. <laughs> when you say mm-hmm. these are like gifts that someone is bringing me, or they're bringing me something that, oh my God. And I, you know, I, I often say to my friends, well, haven't you had a dream? I mean, I, I want to hear a dream. And it's because I think that that is almost like an entry point. And, and you're right, by the way, you just made a, you just made a comment about how it's a little bit like a good novel or that takes you into the unconscious and you're connecting the differences. The author isn't sitting with you. Usually you're, right. you're getting the product. Whereas this is right. it's more direct person. It's, yeah, yeah. It's much more direct. Person. Yeah. Yeah. And the emotions are involved. That, that was what was so interesting about it that you could feel that this wasn't an intellectual exercise. I think if it had been an intellectual exercise, I don't think it would have been as powerful. And the thing is about dreams is because they're so illogical in their basic structure it can never be an intellectual exercise. It has to be something we're using your sensation function, using intuition. And the value of having a group that has done this is people come from different orientations. So someone will pick out an image that might have, mm-hmm. you know, I've not paid attention right. to, but it really is resonant. And in their, uh, in their mind, they're picking it up because of whatever is in them. But ultimately, you let the person speak. And the person themselves is unraveling exactly what it is. And I think what they don't give themselves a chance to do is that, you know, that that process of just talking it through enough, connecting uh, enough of these elements to say, okay, and, and connecting it obviously to what's going on in their outer life. Because if you do go by the idea that uh, a dream is a compensatory thing where it's trying to balance you, right, which is what I told them you know, that the way I approached it, then you have to know what's going on in the outer life. So so you understand what needs to be rebalanced, recalibrated, mm-hmm. uh, but just really super powerful event. And we're going to obviously have more of them. But it reminded me that I'm coming to a point in my life where I don't really want to hear about people's outer lives at all. <laughs> I don't want to know. But if someone is willing to sit and just, uh, and this is why I want everybody to write a novel for me, so I can see just what's going on in their mind, not because I want a great structured narrative, but because I do think that when you engage, and you, you'll talk, I'm sure, about this with the songwriting process, I think when you engage with your, um, whatever's coming out that is becoming a story is actually coming from a place of compensation as well. That's what I found in my own writing life. So it's almost like you're trying to write something that is completely not, not right. So, yeah. You know, uh, another way, another spin that I would put on it is, yes, compensation makes sense. But I would also say there's there's a guidance in dreams. I I think I like I like guidance as well. Um, um, You know, it's it's uh, because what's ultimately happening is, you know, the the center of the of the personality is is trying to, you know, be known more fully and yeah. and it and it it pushes you and right. so I, I like both both compensation and or compensatory and and kind of a you know some type of guidance at work in them yeah no completely I mean I don't know why else you would have these dreams I know a lot of people are going to say well you have them because you're sort of clearing out your mind but 
I don't buy it. I'll always go back to what Jung said. You are exposing yourself daily to how many images? Maybe thousands, right? You're picking up all sorts of things and memories you have and crazy ideas and things you see on the internet. Why is why do you go to sleep and certain certain images come up? There must be a reason. I, and then, of course, this gets into a dodgy area because you just talked about the sacred, that people who are naturally given to rejecting it and getting into neuroscience and this is what the brain is doing. And there's a huge uh, argument that's going out in the other world philosophically, generally have a view of the world as a place that's not animated, okay, not filled with spirit in some way. And right. that's a, it's a difficult word because I know people have all sorts of associations, right. but the idea that we're living in a lie, something that's alive informs my way of thinking it right and thinking so when i'm speaking to someone i am aware that they're part of this whole thing and so i don't care who they are i'm interested in them because they're part of this whole uh thing that is alive for me well it's the same as uh on a on a more micro level it's the same as actually viewing your body as in mind as connected uh because there's a book that i have that i've yet to read that i had. thinking of Vander Kolk? No. No, oh, yes. no. No, okay. no I'm thinking of a book, quite, and I don't remember who the author is, called uh, Let Your Body Interpret Your Dreams is what it's oh, called. And I've not I've, I've not read that. Uh, I have it, but I've never read it. Maybe but you can give me the name after, though. Don't forget, because yeah, that would be an interesting yeah, thing for to sure. Yeah, 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 for sure. But anyway, go on about the uh, the body and, the, and let your body interpret the dreams. If you haven't read well, it, do you know the general? No, 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 this is what I was saying. I haven't read <laughs> it. But but the thing is, is the body, just like matter, I was just drawing a parallel on the on you know that the body becomes somewhat disenchanted as the as you know with with the age of enlightenment or or the more um we value logic and linear processes, the the body is kind of like this thing without spirit. The, right. the individual body and so so the whole idea of your body interpreting your dreams um i really i think a big thing a part of that is part of that's the feeling function yeah yes um, and it's interesting be, be, just be, before you move on to the feeling function can you define that for people because i think that's really really super important it's uh, often one that confuses it, it, people my favorite way of looking at it and i know there's different ways there's different um there's just there's different ways that people express it which makes it even murkier murkier but to me it's an inner knowing it's an inner knowing that you really can't explain you just know it's it when you feel something inside you and you know that that is right that is it but it's a it, it or it's something that you value or it doesn't feel good you know i think there's a there's a, um, you know, sometimes we have a sense something doesn't feel good. Something does feel good. That's, you know, like you could throw something at me. Mm-hmm. Like, well, have you thought yeah. about this? Right. Yeah. I, I use my feeling function. Even I use my feeling function basically to uh, process that. Right. Because right. either it hits or it doesn't. Right. But I know right. that from, from it's an inner knowing. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to explain to people. It's one of the typological functions that people kind of running confused because they think it's emotion stuff and not emotion. Um, but it's so, so fundamental because I find that inner knowing you're speaking about when something resonates and sometimes it means resistance because I hear it and I don't want to accept it. 
I know that I there's a tightness. There's just like a uh, no, I don't, I don't. And then it takes me a while to say, okay, well, maybe, maybe there is. But if you stay with the the feeling, and again, it's not emotion, but it's just with that the, the discomfort. I think sometimes it resolves by just staying with it, right? But then you I, realize, okay, I hit, it hit. There was a hit there. Yeah. I, I think in the I think the reason it resolves is because I, I think initially the reason why that discomfort there is that. I, this is what I find with myself anyway, is that it's in my interpretation. Right. There's an interpretation right. that's happening yeah. and I have to sit with the feeling for a while and the feeling kind of burns away that, right. that, you know, the, the, the delusion or whatever you want to call right. it, that that's kind of how it feels to me. Right. Right. It's interesting. I think that this is all the ego's game, though, right? The only reason there is right. resistance is that the image that has come up is, and when you say about guidance, I think it's guidance from a part of yourself that has a bigger picture. And mm-hmm. ego doesn't like to lose its throne. It wants to be there, you know? Um, and it hears that and it contradicts the self-image that you've created, your great lovely mask you've put on. And it's uncomfortable for that reason. There's a reason we've developed the personas that we have. Mostly it's in reaction to certain things, right? That have damaged or hurt or whatever. And so I think I always really pay attention to the things that really bother me. I just think it's great information. I don't like them as, you know, like everybody else. I don't like hearing stuff that I think speaks to a part of me that I know needs to change or needs to adapt, but it is the best, the best um, kind of feeling in a way, because I know that if I'm feeling resistance, something's got to move, right? The thing, the thing I would compare it to uh, this, this idea of resistance and feeling is, you know, have you ever had a task kept procrastinating? Um, You kept putting it off and putting it off and putting it off. And then you take the one step yes. towards that task. <laughs> and then once you do that, you're like, why was I so resistant yeah. about that? Yeah, why, why, what, it's yeah. the same. It has that same kind of quality. Yeah, it does like, have the same oh. quality. Totally. Totally. And the problem is getting to that point though. I, I don't, you know, the, the getting to the point where action uh, happens is it's the resistance, resistance, resistance. Then you're right. Once you're over the other side, you think I cannot believe it. But then with, with long held beliefs about, about us, about ourselves, I, I think that's so much harder because it means you really mm. do have to change. Again, we go back to the hardest thing to do is to change your mind. It's not, um, I, I liked uh, Michael Pollan's book uh, was how to change your mind. And mm-hmm. it's, it was about his research in psychedelics, but really what he's trying to tell you is that what it opened up in him and you could talk about meditation, you could talk about uh, psychoanalytical work dream work, uh, what it opens is a new perspective and you're either going to resist or you're going to go along with it. Right. Uh, but I think most people, the first step is resistance because it is mm-hmm. a challenge to the ego. And, and that's hard. That's hard. But this is why I think doing dream work, um, either with somebody, one other person, or maybe you can do it in analysis. Some people can't, uh, but I think a group is really powerful. It just allows you to keep having that little window. And weirdly also, because you realize that, you know, you're not that special, <laughs> not the special at all everybody else is kind of dealing with the same but they may have a different kind of color to them but they're mostly the same emotional issues keep coming up they're most mostly linked to certain things they're just different shapes they're showing up i don't know if you find that but that's what i find generally. no i do find that matter of fact in one of the groups that i was in uh one of the classes i remember actually this was this was in a form of a story it wasn't a dream but basically comes from the same place that i was telling and the instructor was like oh she's like you found the control issue 
And I really, just a small thing, the way that she said that, when she said, you found the control mm-hmm. issue, she wasn't talking about, I found my control issue. Right. She was talking about, this is something that we all experience. Yeah. Right. And that, uh, and so it wasn't this thing that I necessarily owned. It was mm-hmm. something that is in me that right. um, is a part of all of us. Right. Right. Yeah, that, that is exactly the point. So if you universalize it, first, you won't take it personally, because I think right. everybody likes to think that they're in control or that they whatever. Nobody likes to think they're being challenged that way or that they need to be in control to such a such a degree that people are onto you. But again, it says these are just natural things that pertain to all to you as being because you're human. And yeah, no, no, this is what I saw in that whole that whole um, NSC whenever we do uh uh, dream. And I think it kind of, it's humbling, but at the same time, it also makes you aware that, I don't know what, I don't know how to put it, that you're so connected to people that you can open up in a way that uh, like all barriers go down. And maybe what we need is more of this so we can get away from the political chatter and the, you know, the dislike of the other, because when you're in that room, that all, like, it's so irrelevant. I mean, you realize how irrelevant it really is. You know, all this, all this argumentation that's happening out there. It's just, it, it all falls away. So maybe that is the reason to get people to do it. But as you say, your guidance, your inner guidance, the only way you can access it is through stuff like that, through inner work. Um, you know, other people use writing, use automatic writing. There's there's many ways, but all these things are, you're accessing the unconscious to override the conscious intention, which sometimes really isn't allowing you to grow, right? It's keeping you in a kind of a cage so you don't take the next step. That might be actually very painful to take, but maybe is necessary. So it's almost like you're getting it. And and I think the reason people are resistant is that, yeah, a lot of what the, the inner guidance tells you means you have to make radical changes on outer levels and inner levels. And, and, and it's hard. It's just really super hard. So first of all, I would say that I'm incredibly in awe of all the people that showed up to this thing and were willing to actually speak about this publicly. I think some of them may have not realized how personal it was until we started talking. It was more like, oh, curiosity. And then they, you know, they got emotional because they realized, wait, this isn't just an intellectual parlor game. This is kind of right. This is kind of getting to places I didn't know. So that was part of it. So so because we talk about books and, and music, uh, after the event, I was asked, you know, what books would you recommend? Well, what I recommend is you do it. That's the most important thing. But it is true that you want to have a little bit of a some roadmaps. And so the first thing I highly recommend to people is there is a nine-hour uh, dream series that was done by Fraser Boa, uh, who is the brother of Marion Woodman. I might have mentioned it in a previous episode, but I'm going to repeat it here. Sometimes someone will upload it to YouTube. I have the actual DVDs that were released originally about maybe 12 years ago with actually Marion Woodman doing the introduction. And it's amazing to see Marie, Marie Louise von Franz interpreting dreams. She's sitting there in her studio with, with her, you know, dog by her side and she just, a dream is presented and she just goes right down and can see all these incredible levels. She's just such an amazing, um, an amazing, she was an amazing woman and an amazing, she has such amazing insight. So that that series I call is called The Way of the Dream, and you can find it in the book form as well. What they did is they released the transcript, and you can read it, and it's both of them are fabulous. Although honestly, we can listen to her speak. I think you agree; she's just such a phenomenal force. Mm-hmm. I, I my favorite Jungian of all. So that's the one that I would definitely look at because you're getting a lot of um uh, rep- repetitive motifs. She's telling you how she's arriving at things. There is, of course, the book by Jung. There's a book that was compiled in the Bollingen uh, uh, series, which is called Dreams by Jung. So if you want to go there. And actually, there's another one that I really like called Children's Dreams, which he did. And actually, I found that really powerful as well. He was dealing with children's dreams, but 
you know, you're going to still see a lot of the things that you might find in your own dreams. So very powerful. Um, what other one would I recommend? And there's a, a, a bunch of them by, well, of course, Inner Work by Robert A. Johnson, because he just takes the whole of the inner work. And he's so simple. He's a guy that writes, you know, for a very sort of simple level. And I think, uh, and this is no way denigrating his writing style. He actually is the kind of guy that we need out there who's able to give you a concept that is quite difficult and distill it in such a way that people without any experience can do it. So that's the other one I would recommend. So that's probably a good start. But, oh, no, I have to have this. Marie-Louise von Franz did a whole bunch of books on on um, fairy tales, interpretations. And I mm-hmm. and I was able to bring fairy tales a lot into the conversation when we were doing these dream analysis because it is dreams have such a re- I mean they resonate so much with what, what's said in fairy tales. So if you're looking at analyses of fairy tales, which of course, as you said, are the myths of the collective, how how the psychology of the collective is developing, right? you start getting a little bit of a window as to why these rooms uh, don't show up or, you know, the typical dream you'll have where um, there's a room you suddenly find. It's a new room in your house and you didn't know it was there. And, and you know, we can connect Bluebeard to it. I, I'm just thinking Bluebeard came up in our, um, in our uh, session. And what always amazed me about Bluebeard is uh, the, the very little fact that's always skipped over, which is that these this woman marries a man who has a Bluebeard. Everybody can see he has a Bluebeard, but she decides to ignore that fact. And you've taken metaf- literally, you go, well, why would a guy have a blue beard? But taken metaphorically, how many times have we gotten ourselves involved in situations right. where we clearly see there's a blue yep. beard <laughs> and we go, yeah. oh, we'll do it anyway. And uh, then suddenly yeah. you know, we're opening a room and there's a bunch of dead, dead wives uh, sitting there. And it's just that there's these little things that when you see them as a motif that shows up in your dream, again, it's a thing that stands out. You go, what's that doing there? Uh, I don't know if I told you, the, a, a dreamer uh, had this, the, the one, like a little detail that kind of unlocked everything was that she was walking and t- very d- directed to this house, but she was carrying a, a container with pasta in it and she kept kept falling to the ground. And this was keeping her from her journey. And once you think about that, you think pasta and you think past, it was very clear that, you know, why why of all things would the dream be, because there's a lot of wordplay in this, and it did unlock for her. Oh, this is, this is in this situation. This is exactly what's keeping me from making the journey or completing the journey. So anyway, just, the, just how powerful it is to what you're looking for is a language of connection. So anything that allows you to interpret things and along many different lines will allow you to look at, I think, your own dreams. But ultimately, you need help. Everybody needs help. I don't care. Even Jung needed to tell his dreams to, as I remember, he would tell, the, you know, one of the guys who was from the village because he didn't want anybody to tell him what they meant, he needed to overhear himself. It's a bit like a Shakespearean, right. you know, yes. thing. So anyway, so there are my recommendations for dreams. I, I have a ton more, but I really do think this is a question of you having to do it. It's not, and record them and and sit with them and let the feeling. The question you always ask after you're recounting a dream is, well, how did you feel when you woke up? <laughs> you right. know, because if you're feeling euphoric, that's a heck of a lot. It's very different from feeling completely dismayed or or frightened, right? So you start with the feeling and you work your way through the uh, story. Yeah.
So we're going to talk about your event, which is completely different. But actually, when I think about it, probably not that different. Uh, you you created a new song, which I love, and we're going to run through this whole um, this whole uh, episode. But uh, tell us about the song because it been because it is a little bit different in my view from from stuff you've done before. So so yeah, go ahead, start. I'll put you on the uh, spot. <laughs> what do you What do you want to know about it? Everything. What do you mean? It's like a dream. I want to know everything from beginning to end. Tell me how. Okay, let's start with how did this song come into? What happened? What What kind of state of mind were you in when this song came into uh, into your psyche? Well, I just know that I started playing around with something on uh, my guitar and wrote a few little lyrics down. And I was like, you know, this song really uh, would be great on piano. I just heard piano. My niece, uh, who's a great pianist, I was over at a uh, family dinner one night and on a on a Sunday about a year ago, actually, it was, it was really close to a year ago. And I uh, she was playing the piano and I said, uh, I grabbed a guitar and I said, hey, let's uh, let me hear you play this. So it was a chord progression. She started playing that. And as soon as she did that, like just this um, hearing her play what I had inside me, just like, uh, I mean, it was very emotional for me. Pretty indescribable. Uh, I just was overcome <laughs> with the motion. I was tearing up. I was like, what's going on? <laughs> and uh, so. That gave me a boost to continue working on it. And I took that feeling home. And uh, this was probably this the process of writing this song happened over months. And I've never spent that long Mm. on a song before. It developed like it was it was nothing I wanted to rush through. It was nothing I got to I got to quit this and move on to something else, Mm. although I did. It was like this thing. I now had a partner that uh, I needed in order to complete it as far as because I needed that instrumentation. So continued uh, writing. It had a few different versions and we sat down during Thanksgiving and really um, when we were together during Thanksgiving and and really uh, fleshed some things out as far as what she would play, what I would play, how I would sing this part. Then it evolved to her singing harmonies on parts. And so, you know, I don't know if I'm giving you what you want. <laughs> no, no, it's just interesting, for the, you know, from the perspective of like, you know, if somebody asked me how you write a novel, I mean, it's a very different process than what you're describing. You have to have more right. structure in mind. You're not allowing the free flow to happen quite. I and mean, it, you still it, have some of it, but not the same. Yeah. Well, this like different, as I'm sure different novels call you, your process to change, like your process on one novel is never the same as the next. And for whatever reason, my psyche was, I was very willing to be patient with this one. Um, You know, it's six minutes and 30 seconds. I mean, (laughs) you'd have to be. And it's also the first song I've ever taken into the studio where producer engineer had never heard a rough version of it and we started with it in the studio and uh, built it from there so it was it began as this one little thing that told me to go to my niece Mm -hmm. and my niece helps me amplify it uh and and, oh go ahead go ahead no no go ahead finish finish the thought 
Well, I mean, it's it's like anytime you produce a song from one person writing it uh, and everyone, this is how it's like a dream is is uh, uh, everyone helps bring out the central truth in it. Everyone brings out everyone that's involved with it, you know, the drummer, the bass player, um, uh, the pianist, um, things that I do myself. And so it's this collaborative effort in bringing out what needed to be brought out. Right. So what about the words? Because the words are not a collaborative effort. Those were your words, right? Yeah. What's what what was what was the driving force? Because as, as a writer, that's often what uh, what interests me, uh, you know, because it's a little bit like poetry. Uh, songs are like poetry, not so much like prose. And so I'm just wondering what was the impetus in that? Uh, that feeling f- feeling that this feeling that um, I was coming out of something, feeling that I was emerging from something. You know, I had been looking for years for an opportunity to collaborate with an, at least another musician and hopefully with the band. And uh, I just wasn't finding that anywhere. I, I think that's why I had such a emotional response when I heard my niece right. play it is because that is something that right. I had wanted for a long time. And I believe that the chorus, the, um, you know, the part about possibility, I believe that was written after I heard my niece play the chord oh. progression on the piano, because uh, that's what I felt. I felt uh, alive with possibility, whereas before I felt like I was banging my head up against a wall. <laughs> Go ahead. I'm just saying, interesting that uh, the person you found was so close. <laughs> you know, right. like you didn't have to go across the country. There was somebody sitting, like literally related to you, who who actually provided the answer. That's just amazing. You know, like we always want that to happen, right? Yes, yes. Yeah. And, and so it, it felt, you know, the in in I in the chorus as well. There's um, I use the word fate, and, and fate isn't necessarily something that I buy into, but. There's the real fate is what I say in real fate to me is, is uh, uh, not fatalism or to being, to, to be fatalistic, but the blinders of the ego being taken off or shedding those and seeing what the struggle was all about and what, why I needed that struggle was so that I could, you know, I, I, without the struggle, I couldn't have had that experience. The struggle is what readied me for that experience. Right. Which is the big lesson I think in um, all descents, right. And, and all transformations that everybody wants to get to the actual transformation part, but they don't really want to go through the years of misery or months of misery to get there. And you have to, you have to roast a little bit like I, like I was, well, actually, as Marie-Louise von Franz said, that's the idea that, yeah, it takes time. It's not going to happen immediately. I guess some people have immediate transformations, but I haven't seen it. Uh, well, and yeah. there's, um, there's also some things of grief 
in that song. And I think on a, on a, on a larger picture, uh, when I say grief, you know, that could be about multiple things in my life. But I think when I think of it in the big picture, what the song talks to is grieving something, but then seeing the light that comes through the grief, that the grief opens the way to the light. That's ultimately what the, what what the whole song's about. I'm still a little bit, I'm still a little bit um, intrigued about what you think fake fate is actually. Uh, fake, I, fake fate fatalism. would be. I know you said fake. Would, would 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 be would be uh, stories that are coming from your ego, things that you're wrapped up in. That uh, what I, what I mean, what I mean by real fate is being being opened up to something greater that uh, was always there that you weren't seeing, right. versus you know maybe a story you tell yourself that hides that right. that that seems like fate like yeah. well this will you know this will never work or this right. you know that's what i mean by real fate okay. and you know right. inauthentic fate whatever you want to call it yeah, inauthentic yeah yeah no just interesting because i mean i do I, I think that is a troubling word as well but i do think there are things that i also am not going to deny that there's certain things that seem more fated than others uh, but i always think it's fate in a way that is calling you into what we talked about. We started talking about at the beginning, which is is calling the larger personality into the picture. And mm-hmm. that's what seems faded about it. And I think that's what it really impacts us because that's, we think, wow, yes. how did that happen? How did I find that right, right. person or that book or whatever who gave me the right message at that time or whatever it was, right? And that's what makes it seem faded. But really it's because you're you were open at that time to receiving something that and clearly you were. You were yes, you did connect, but you were open at that point to receive something maybe that wouldn't have been received two, three years ago as well, right? right. Things, things change all the time. So well, we're not going to recommend any music because the music we're recommending on this episode is that song that I hope everybody listens to and shares and and they should because it's absolutely gorgeous. Uh, and so we'll play a lot of it for here and then, you know, direct people to where they can, they can listen to it. So again, uh, the music, oh, what's the name of the, the song, by the way, if you should say, uh, uh, lead me to gardens, <laughs> lead me to gardens. Yes. I was going to go. Yes. You should tell people you have, you have to be better. Like it's like me with my book invocation. You have to say the title or people don't know it. Right. Lead me to gardens and, uh, and the books, uh, I'll list them, uh, in the, in the notes. Uh, so you can go and maybe read a little bit of all in France or hopefully, hopefully go to YouTube. Well, what happens with YouTube is, uh, somebody uploads it and then the rights people come out and they strike it down, which fair enough, because, you know, it's, it belongs to somebody, but you can even find little pieces of it. So I hope at least they find just her talking. It is one of my dreams that one day I'll write a piece about her because she's been so impactful, um, for me. Uh, but anyway. Uh, those are the recommendations of the day. And we will wrap up with that. Thanks for listening. If you like Jay's music and would like to support the creation of more, follow the link to the GoFundMe page in the show notes. You can support my work by buying my new novel, Invocation, at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and through many booksellers across the world. For now, until next time. Yes, I-